Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Great to see you. Can I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? And as you turn there, let me share a story with you. This is a, a story that was first shared by the desert mothers and fathers. There are two spiritual guides, two Abbas, Abba Lot and Abba Joseph. They bump into each other one day and they sit down and they grab a conversation. Abba Lot turns to Abba Joseph and says, Abba, as much as I can, I say my little office, I fast a little, I pray a bit, I meditate when I can, I live in peace, and as much as I possibly can, I try to have pure thoughts but is there anything else that I can do? And Abba Joseph, sensing Abba Lot's desires for more, he didn't respond at first, but instead he stood up and he stretched out his hands towards heaven. And as he did so, his fingers became like 10 lamps of fire. And with his hands alight, he turns back to Abba Lot and says, if you will, you can become all flame. For many of us, our life with Jesus is a little bit like Abba Lot's. We show up to church when we can. We pray a bit whenever we're not hurried. We read the scriptures. We give. We try our best not to sin. And yet, if we're truly honest with ourselves, and I want to invite you this afternoon to be honest with yourself, this shape of spirituality, it doesn't leave us overly satisfied, does it? Within us, there is a hunger, a, a deep hunger that needs satisfied. There is a thirst that needs quenched. If we're honest, and again, I want you to be honest with yourself this afternoon. Our life with Jesus is, well, it's just kind of all right, right? But this afternoon, I want us to consider what would it look like for our lives, our, our life with Jesus to not just be all right, but instead be all flame. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you to stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. As we come to the scriptures today, I'd love to take a moment to pray for us. So why don't you close your eyes and catch your breath and be here and be nowhere else. I want to use the words of an old prayer. Lord, fill us with your fullness. Breathe on us with that breath which kindles fervor. Lord, we ask for yourself, for nothing short of you. O God, who has given yourself wholly to us, enter our hearts this afternoon substantially and personally and fill them with fervor by filling them with you. You alone can satisfy our souls and you have promised to do so. So enter into us and set us on fire after your pattern and after your likeness. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. The words of Matthew, beginning of verse 1, chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up onto a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
This is the word of the Lord, given to us so that we may know the love of the Father, may practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? Over the past couple of Sundays, we've joined the disciples and a ragtag crowd as they stand on a mountainside and as they listen to Jesus. At the start of Matthew's gospel, not only do we find Jesus proclaiming the message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but we also see him demonstrating this message, allowing it to come alive as the kingdom's nearness is witnessed through the miraculous. And so one day he climbs a mountain and he sits down like a rabbi would have done and he begins to teach what we now know as the Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially a description of the life of a people that have been gathered by Jesus and for Jesus so that they can go on to live his life in his way. And to get the ball rolling in his sermon, Jesus uses a really common form of communication at the time, which is known as a beatitude. And beatitudes would have been really normal. Everybody would have understood what was going on, but they always would have sounded the same. Beatitudes go like this. It will go well with the one who, and then you insert someone who is something or does something, for they shall receive, and then you insert a kind of blessing. But over the past couple of weeks, we find Jesus doing something really interesting through the Beatitudes. He seems to be subverting and inverting who we think the well-off are, who the blessed are, the ones for whom it will go well for in his kingdom. Because whenever it comes to Jesus' kingdom, it's all upside down. It's all right way up. Because his kingdom seems to be lavishly led at the feet of those that we would so often consider to be the least, to the poor in spirit to the mourning, to the meek. Jesus says to them, Makarios, congratulations. You are the blessed ones because my kingdom has drawn really close to you. And then he goes on to say the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, what does righteousness mean? It's a really churchy word. If you've ever read the Bible, you've probably come across the word righteousness. But if there is blessing to be found in working up a really good appetite for righteousness, we need to ask ourselves, what on earth is it? And righteousness, it is basically doing right by someone, being in right relationship with someone. And if we zoom out of Matthew for a minute and we look at the whole of the scriptures, we find that righteousness has two dimensions to it. There is a vertical dimension to righteousness and there is a horizontal direction to righteousness. I've got a really bad sense of direction, so you won't believe how much I've practiced doing vertical and horizontal over the past couple of days, right? Let me explain what I mean by these two directions, the vertical and the horizontal. In the Old Testament, the word righteousness is used a lot. It's used a couple of hundred times, and it most often describes how God's people were to live in right relationship with other people with those around them, how they were to live with love and with mercy and with justice. But in the New Testament, well, the Apostle Paul, he loved to talk about righteousness. And whenever he speaks of righteousness, it often has to do more with the vertical dimension or the vertical direction, our relationship with God. Paul would talk about this a lot. He would say that God is a righteous God who blesses us with his gift of grace So that while we once were not in right relationship with him because of our sin, well, now we are in right relationship with God because of his gift of salvation. 
We have been justified, Paul would say a lot. Our right relationship with God has been redeemed. And so we're to learn what it means to live in that way consistently over the course of our lives, living a life that pleases, blesses, worships, and honors God. But here, if we zoom back into Matthew, we find Jesus. And I know this is really obvious, but it's actually really helpful. Jesus comes before the apostle Paul. And we find him here also talking about righteousness. He uses the word righteousness, I think, five times in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants us to understand what he's saying here. And whenever he uses the word righteousness, Jesus is doing something interesting. He seems to be tethering these two directions of the vertical and the horizontal together. What do I mean by that? Well, in Matthew 22, later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is asked a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, he is asked. And Jesus replies by saying this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. He's talking about the vertical direction here. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But then he goes on to say, but the second is like it. All right, it is like it. They're tied together. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is all horizontal living. All of the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. They hang on both the vertical and the horizontal. For Jesus, righteousness is living in right relationship with God and at precisely the same time doing right by those around you. Both of these motivate each other. This is why we find Jesus raging against the religious leaders of his day because they were so focused on proving their I guess, vertical rightness with God, but they treated those around them so flipping badly. For Jesus, a life that claims to love God, but not love others, it is at best hypocritical, and at worst, it is downright sinful. The, the righteousness of God is a gift. And in this sermon on the mountainside, Jesus is wanting to show us what it looks like to put this gift to work by living a life that is directed both Godward and worldward, a life that loves God and loves those around us, or to put it another way, a righteous life is a kingdom of heaven on earth kind of life. Jesus is saying that the kingdom life, the righteous life, the blessed life, well, we get to live it as we learn to love God and love others. Does that make sense? You with me in that? All right. Jesus is also, though, saying something else in this beatitude. He, he's inviting us as his followers to see that this way of living, this loving God, loving neighbor way of living, it is to be our priority. Not just a priority, but the priority of our lives, the very essence of who we are as human beings. Because whenever righteous living, kingdom of heaven on earth, living grabs a hold of us and shapes everything about us, well, then Jesus looks at us and says, hey, Makarios, congratulations, you are blessed. Now, a few minutes or a few hours later, I don't know how long it would have taken Jesus to have delivered the Sermon on the Mount, but my guess is he's a 35 to 40 minute sermon guy, right? And I'm just trying to do everything I can to imitate him, all right? So um, you're so welcome this afternoon. Um, but later on in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus is teaching us a really important lesson, particularly in our age, which is fueled by ambient anxiety and worry. And he's speaking to that part of us. 
where we worry about things. We worry about things that are going on. And he names a couple of things as examples. He talks about what we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. The things that we consume. Things that, well, they can take priority in our lives. And Jesus wants us to know that we aren't to worry about these things because the Father who loves us will take care of us. And then he goes on to say this, but instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all of these things will be given to you as well. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying that the blessed, the ones for whom it will go well for in his new world, they are those who above anything and everything else seek first the kingdom of Jesus and his righteous ways. The blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the kingdom of heaven on earth life. They don't settle for a faith that's just all right. Instead, they long to live a life that is all flame. Jesus is saying here that the blessed are those who have a deep yearning within them, a longing for righteousness. There's like a fire in their bones. Their hearts ache for the holiness of Jesus. And they have this burning desire to see his kingdom come to those around them, even if it means that you need to run four marathons in a row, right? He wants us to go all in on these things. He doesn't want us just to dabble in the directions of I'll kind of love God and I'll kind of love neighbor. No, he wants us to go all in on them with all of our heart, with all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our imaginations, all of our finances, our dreams, our desires, our time, our attention, and our energy. This is why Jesus uses the raw, primal words of hungering and thirsting here. Just like you can't live without food or water, Jesus is calling a people to himself who cannot live without the king and his kingdom. People who seek him first. People who join with the psalmist in saying, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being, it longs for you in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. Or to put it another way, Jesus is calling for a people who don't just settle for the starter. Hey, I'll have the starter, please. Instead, he's looking for a people who are always on the lookout for the all-you-can-eat buffet, right? Because they are starving for him. They're longing for his kingdom. And so, with the time that I've got left in this 35 to 40-minute sermon, WWJD, right? Um, I want to, yeah, thanks. I want to explore how we can live this blessed life. And I don't have a ton of time to get into the practicals of this. I really want to get to the heart of the thing, the heart of hunger. But if I did have time to talk practically, there would be a couple of things that I would want to flag up. The first thing would be this. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And so in a distracted age, we need to set this sucker down every once in a while and actually attend to God. Uh, Number two, we are way too busy. And busyness is the enemy of spirituality. Busyness erodes fervor for God because we think that we've got so many things that we should be doing. And actually the thing that our heart longs for, we just kind of set to the side because we're just too busy, right? The third thing is this, the spiritual practices, they are not the thing, but spiritual practices, 
practices like prayer and fasting, they help create the conditions for us to encounter God. And so we need to prioritize them, rooting them in the very basis of our lives. Number four, we are so often formed by where and with whom we spend our time. And so if you spend all of your time surrounded by people who aren't hungering and thirsting after God, who are quite apathetic, who are a bit meh whenever it comes to following Jesus, and yes, meh is a theological term, you are at risk of becoming just like that too. Placing yourselves in environments of hunger and faith will stoke up the flames of your soul. You've got to get around people that are also hungering and thirsting because they will help form you into the likeness of Jesus, which is all about hungering and thirsting. And the final thing is this, kingdom people, people like us, we are to find ourselves in situations where we are not comfortable all the time, places where we need to cry out to God for him to move, places where we're just desperate to see his kingdom come. And this most often happens whenever we move from the center where we kind of want to be all the time and move towards the margins, towards those that Jesus in the Beatitudes calls the blessed, the poor, the hungry, the hurting, those that need heaven's help. And whenever we move towards the margins, we will become more hungry and thirsty for God to move. We long for him to move. We cry out for him to move. And trust me, friends, it is so hard for hunger to be cultivated if we just stay cozy, comfortable, consuming Christianity rather than actually doing the stuff. But I'm not going to talk about practicals. I'll leave that for another time. All right. So let's get to the heart of this conversation. And I want to begin with uh, yeah, just sharing a psalm that since the turn of the year, I can't seem to shake. It's my prayer right now. It's, yeah, the psalm in the best way is haunting me, uh, stirring my soul at the minute. And it's Psalm 86, verse 11 says this, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Those who seek first the kingdom, they have undivided hearts. Their hearts will one thing. They wholeheartedly pursue God and the ways of his righteousness. And yet so often this wholehearted, obedient, relentless, passionate pursuit, it isn't always our normal mood, right? A heart isn't always undivided. So often it gets divided right the way up. Like for many of us, well, you're here, you love God, you love to worship him. And yet, so often we love other things and long for other things just as much as we love and long for God. And if we're really honest with ourselves, and again, this afternoon, I really want you to be honest with yourself. There's things in our lives where we love them more than we love Jesus himself. I'm not a mad guy. But I do know this, you can only seek first one thing. You can't seek first two things. Two things can't be first. And so whenever we try to seek first two things, or three things, or four things, or a multitude of things, our heart, it gets pulled in multiple directions, and we are left, well, just really unsatisfied. Jesus is saying in this beatitude that those who hunger and thirst after him with undivided hearts, they will be filled. They will be satisfied. And why? Well, as Dallas Willard said, desire is infinite because we were made by God, made for God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply our needs. We are only at home in God. 
And yet, so often our heart gets divided up as we allow other things to take the position of priority. So we find ourselves, whether it's in real life or daydreaming, we just seek first the career, the experiences, the holidays, the popularity, the wealth, the relationship, the status, more than we prioritize Jesus. And whenever that happens, that thing, that person, that experience, it takes the position of first love for us. And the position of first love, it is only ever reserved for God. He is the only one that can truly fill that position. He is the only one that can carry the weight of our longing in our lives. And anything else that is placed in that position of first love, well, it's an idol. It's an idol that is in the wrong place. And trust me, friends, from my experience, idols, they never, ever satisfy. Father Ron Rollheiser puts it like this. Today, most of us do not see our restless longing as pushing us towards the infinite. We have trivialized and tamed our longing. Instead of longing for the transcendent, we distract ourselves by focusing our desires on the good life, on sex, on money, on success, and on whatever else we think that everybody else has, which is the danger of the social media age, by the way. There is nothing inherently bad about these things, but if we define our deepest longings as directed towards these things in and of themselves, we end up disappointed and empty. And why? Because ultimately, our restless aching, it is a yearning for God. At the start of the book of Revelation, God speaks through the apostle John, and God is speaking to seven churches. One of the churches that he is speaking to is a church that is in a town called Laodicea. And Laodicea was the wealthiest of the seven towns that John was writing to. And the reason why it was such an affluent place to live was really down to three things. Laodicea was a center of banking. It was where the rich went to live. It was a center for medicine and well-being. If you wanted to live a healthy life, you moved to Laodicea. But it was also a fashion center. If you wanted just to kind of stay fresh to death, then you always moved to Laodicea. It was a really affluent place to be. People moved to live in this place. And in the thick of it all, a church is planted here. A church that was all flame, and yet a subtle but terrible thing happened. This church started to consume all of the best parts of Laodicean life, right? They focused their life on how can I be as well as possible? How can I be as rich as possible? How can I look as class as possible? This city life, they started to consume it, and they still love God. They still worshiped him. They still gathered as a church. But rather than placing God as the priority of their lives and their mission as a church, well, they had to try to squeeze God in, in the thick of everything else that was going on. They kind of had to narrow him and place him in between their love for money and for wellness and also for just looking great. They started trying to squeeze God in. And in the book of Revelation, God says something to them to waken them up. God deliberately says something really, really provocative because he wanted to get the people going. And he, yeah, thanks, Talladega Nights fans. Um, he, he said this, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold and you're not hot. Far better to either be cold or hot. You're stale, you're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. 
Now, this is a really harsh word. You probably have heard this before. Like God saying, I want to spit you out because you're lukewarm or vomit you. He says this, and it's really harsh. But God doesn't leave the church in Laodicea there. He's saying something deliberately provocative to waken them up to get their attention. And he doesn't leave them there in their shame. He, in fact, counsels them back into life. He goes on to say this. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me. Gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me, clothes designed in heaven. You've gone around half naked long enough. And buy medicine for your eyes from me so that you can see, really see. God here is not scolding the church in Laodicea for their desires or their longings. He's just wanting them to have their eyes open to see that their loves and their longings have been misdirected. They've been going in the wrong direction, heading towards things that will never truly satisfy them. And he's wanting to say, no, only I can satisfy you. He's calling his people back to hunger and thirst after him. And why? Because God wants to satisfy us. He wants us to be those who are filled with his joy and his life. He doesn't want to leave us unsatisfied. And so he goes on to say this, the people that I love, that I call to account, discipline, prod and correct and guide, I do that, why? So that they will live at their best. So up on your feet then, about face, leave your idols behind and run after God. Does any of that sound familiar to us? As we come to seek first the kingdom, our hungers get satisfied. And yes, of course, we can go on to love second thing second and third thing third and so on. But the hunger, the thirst that you carry, it will only ever be satisfied in seeking first Jesus. God has made us for himself and our hearts will be restless until it finds its rest in him. Friends, I want you to be honest today. If you were to honestly audit your life, your priorities, how you spend your money and your time, where your energies go and where your imaginations take you. I think that many of us, if we're truthful, would just say that our life with Jesus is just another part of our life. It's not the one thing. It's just one of the other things, right? And just like the Desert Fathers that I mentioned, we do godly, churchy things, but we're left so unsatisfied. Our faith kind of ebbs and flows. And why? Because our hearts are undivided. Whenever we talk about idols, so often we kind of shrivel up of like, oh my goodness, you're touching a nerve here. But I want us to share this. This is really good news that Jesus is trying to communicate to us today. He knows the deep hunger and the deep longings of our lives. And we get it so complicated all the time when in fact, the simple truth of the simple gospel is that only God can satisfy us. And whenever we chase after him, we will be the ones that are satisfied. And it is God's intention, God's longing, God's deepest desire that he will be the one that satisfies our souls. But whenever we follow Jesus and try to squeeze everything else in, we only ever get to have a tiny bite of his life. And yet whenever Jesus becomes your one thing, as A.W. Tozer used to say, you can have as much of God as you want. And I'm going to say it again because it sounds wrong whenever you say it out loud, but it is so true. You can have as much of God as you want. 
The question is, how much of him do you want? How, how much of God do you want? And I don't know about you, but like I am tired of the quick bite on the go, fast food spirituality. I want the Lord's Supper. I want the feast. I want it all. The cry of my heart right now is truly, Lord, would you give me, would you give my family, would you give this church an undivided heart? I've tried it all. I've tried to squeeze it all in, and it's left me so unsatisfied. And yet there is one thing that I ask of the Lord. There is one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house and the kingdom of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold his beauty and to seek him in his temple. This hunger, this desire for more of God, it brings us home to him, but it also brings us home to ourselves, to the place of satisfaction. Ruth Healy Barton says this, your desire for more of God than you have right now is the truest thing about you. You might think that your woundedness or your sinfulness is the truest thing about you or your giftedness or your personality type or job title or your identity as husband or wife, mother or father, it somehow defines you. But in reality, it is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more of God that you have right now that is the deepest essence of who you are. With all this talk of passionate, undivided, devoted hunger, I know that for some of you, this makes a ton of sense. In fact, this conversation is really familiar, but it might be a conversation that leaves you feeling a little bit nostalgic because there was a time in your life where it was just pure hunger, pure thirst after God. Life with Jesus was all flame. And for you, you look back on this time as a stage in your spirituality, but it's a stage that you kind of have grown up out of. Life has happened. Responsibilities took hold. You got busy. Things like pandemics kind of made everything a bit skew with. And this relentless devotion has been replaced by a spirituality that's a bit more sanitized, a bit more boxed in, a bit more controlled. It's like diet devotion. Friends, if that's you today, I want to just say something really humbly. Desperate devotion is not just for the young. It's not just a stage in our life with Jesus. It is the stage of our life with Jesus. We're, to call, we're called to keep hungering and thirsting all of the days of our life by living this long, hungry, desperate obedience in the same direction. Hungering and thirsting after God doesn't come to an end. And why? Because God doesn't come to an end. The more that we experience of him, the more our appetite for him just grows and grows. And to those of you, to my friends, who have experienced deep thirst in the past, but it's kind of dried up, and you just leave it down to, you know what? Nope, that was just a younger, naive me. That time, and it was full of fun whenever we got up to crazy things for the kingdom, but those times full of passion, they're kind of over, and I've sort of grown up a bit. I've got more stuff on my plate. I've got all this stuff going on, and I need to try to squeeze God into the hecticness of my life. I want to remind you today that it is your desire for God that is the truest thing about you. And I believe this afternoon that God is wanting to invite some of you into, I guess what you could call, 
a second naivety. If it wasn't from Lisburn, I would say second naivete, right? With, with where you are right now, even as you listen to me right now, you're just, you kind of can't help but feel a bit numb about Jesus. But there is this restlessness underneath the surface. And I believe genuinely, and we're going to pray about this in a moment, that God is wanting to lead some of you out of this numbness and lead you into naivety. And whenever I say that, like, I'm not talking about mindlessness. I'm not talking about silliness. I'm not talking about hype. But I am talking about a deep passion for the ways of Jesus and his kingdom. And this devotion, it will look different in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and your 60s than it did whenever you were a teenager. You might not be able to drop everything that you, like you used to and kind of travel all across the world, but this deep, grown-up devotion, it invites us to pick up everything instead, every single aspect of our lives, and offer it to Jesus as a gift of devoted worship. I'm talking about God not just fitting into one small part of your life, but taking up residency in every single part of your life. I'm talking about not confining God to an hour on a Sunday morning or a quiet time, but allowing him to be in all and through all. I'm talking about running after God with your family, through your finances, in your work and on your street, opening up the whole of your life and seeking first his kingdom through the fixtures of your everyday ordinary life. I'm talking about God having it all and working through it all, that in the midst of all of the things that we need to do in our life, there is an invitation for us to find that God wants to use us and work through us in each of those aspects as we seek first him and his kingdom. My longing, my deep longing, is that in my last breathing days here, that I will be as passionate, if not more passionate, about Jesus and his kingdom than I am right now. I'm kind of passionate about Jesus. But I know that there is a deep well of passion that I long to tap into. I long for more. And I long to join with the Spirit as he does the good work that he wants to do in my life of keeping the flame of passion growing and growing and growing. And I think that there's some of you here today, well, the Lord is wanting to stoke up the embers of the fire once again. I think he's wanting to call some of you back to first love living. And the reality is, is that I think some of us are experiencing, it's kind of like long COVID. The, the pandemic did something in our life with Jesus and the effects of it are still lingering on. And it changed things and it made it harder for us to follow Jesus. And yet, I think the Lord is wanting to call some of you out of that numbness that you have experienced and back in towards full passion. What would it look like for some of you to see your whole heart and your whole life be opened up to the ways of Jesus and the possibilities of his kingdom? What would this look like for you? What would it look like for you to cry out, Lord, would you give me and my family and my friends a undivided heart? What would it look like for us to not look back on old days as just naive days that we need to grow up out of, 
but actually in the goodness of God, days that he's wanting us to return back to. Days whenever we would do anything for Jesus. Days whenever we would say yes to him, no matter the cost. That is the kind of people that God is calling back to himself. We must never look down on the young. And we must never look down on our younger self. We must see that actually in that space, the Lord was at work and he's wanting us to return back to this space. I think God is wanting to take some of us somewhere new. I think he's also wanting to take some of us back on well-trodden paths. As Artie Kendall used to say, whenever you have a desire for the things that please God and honor him, you've crossed over into the supernatural. There is no natural explanation for that. The Spirit is wanting to empower us to live a righteous life. He's wanting to cross some of you over into a supernatural life. Not just the life that is all about our heads and getting our beliefs sorted out, but actually it's got way more to do with our guts. Just full passion driving us towards a supernatural life. A life where God doesn't just play a tiny part, but actually is in all and through all. And maybe this is just my naivety. Naivete. But I believe that even right now as I speak, the pangs of hunger are beginning to stir in some of you again. And so we're going to pray for you in a few moments because I think God is wanting to awaken us again, to awaken our first love. Do you remember how awful Zoom was? I know some of you still use it, and I'm so sorry. Um, I've been cold turkey for about a year, and... um, it's really good. Zoom was not my thing. Zoom is wick, all right? And I'm happy to go on record to say that. But there's one Zoom call from the hundreds of Zoom calls that I was on that really sticks with me. And uh, we tried to do the first new festival in 2020, and yeah, I don't need to say the rest. But in and around the time whenever we were supposed to gather for the NUA festival, um, our friend Mark Sayers, who leads a church in Melbourne, Australia, He jumped on the call with his wife, Trudy, and they kind of led us through some of the things that were going on for him. Mark and Trudy are are a couple of family that are hungering and thirsting after after the, yeah, um, I've said a lot of words, you know. Um, They're hungering and thirsting after the next great awakening. And they're wide-eyed to what God is doing across the world. And on that call, Mark said two things that really struck me. He said that crisis always precedes renewal. And so it's no wonder that after the most disruptive time in our lives through the pandemic, God is stirring something new in people right now. And he's doing that in particular regions. He's doing that with particular age demographics, particularly late teens and those in their early 20s. But he's also stirring up devotion and awakening in people's individual hearts. But then he also said this. He said that God is looking for a particular kind of person to move in and through at the minute. And there's three H's, which makes it really easy. He's a really good preacher. They are the humble, like Andy talked about last week. They are the holy, just as we're going to talk about in a few weeks' time. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But they're also the hungry, the humble, the holy, and the hungry. Those are the kind of people that God is awakening right now. 
and awakenings, whether they happen at a macro level or a micro level in somebody's soul, they always involve two things, our confession and the power of the Spirit. Mark says this, I believe that God chooses when and where he will move. I also believe that God is looking for a people amongst whom he can dwell. His kingdom comes to those who hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Therefore, throughout history, we observe a pattern, and the pattern is this. When we cry out to him, when we repent of the ways that we have ignored him and pursued our human-driven plans of renewal, basically whenever we have had divided hearts. And number two, whenever we take a posture of contending for his kingdom to come in power, that's whenever we see God move. And I want you to hear me in this because I am like the opposite of a hype man. God is moving right now. He is moving. And yes, I and you are hearing stories of God moving in a new way all across the world, but I am truthfully, honestly observing God moving in some of you right now. There's a setting right of our hearts There's a seeking first of his kingdom. It is stirring. There's this hunger that is stirring, but it is a holy hunger. It is a humble hunger. It is not a hypey hunger. And so what do we do to to respond to a God that is moving and calling the people back to himself? I think we need to confess. And I think we need to cry out for his power to come. I think we need to be the people who cry out the words of the psalmist, Lord, would you give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I could go on, but I, I am going to stop. And so can I, can I invite you to stand with me? We're going to do two things. We're, we're going to we're going to take some time to confess and then um, we're going to invite some of you to come to the front and, and receive some prayer. Uh, we're going to pray for you, to pray that the Spirit would, would fill you and that hungering and thirsting after God would be the shape of your life. But we're going to take a minute and if you sense that the Lord is speaking to you today, And if you're honest enough with him that you have had a heart that's been divided and yet you sense that the Lord is calling you back to first love living, I want to invite you to confess. And confession is a good thing. It's a thing that allows us to be honest with God but also opens us up to his grace. And so if you want to join me in confessing that this week or this month or this year or the past couple of years, you've lived with a divided heart and yet you long for an undivided heart, do you want to just place your hand over your heart? Jesus, our hearts have been divided. We have loved you, longed for you, but we have found ourselves loving and longing for things just as much as you, if not more than you. And Lord, we want to confess that to you today. We want to say that we're sorry. We want to leave that way of living behind. If that is you, if you've got your hand on your heart, just 
don't worry about doing this out loud, but just within yourself in kind of prayer conversation with God, do you want to just name some of the things that you have placed before him? Let me remind you as you do that, you're speaking to a God that is full of love and a God that's full of mercy, that wants you to be satisfied. Just name some of those things. Jesus, would you give us undivided hearts? Hearts that are set solely upon you. Lord, would you take up your rightful place as the Lord of our lives? Come, Lord. Draw us back to you. Make us the hungry. Make us the thirsty. Those who seek first your kingdom, regardless of the cost. We long for you, Lord Jesus. If you're a tribe leader, uh, part of our staff team, or if you regularly pray for people at the front, um, I want to invite you to come really quickly to the front and do some praying, um, because we're going to invite people to, to come and respond. Uh, Lauren's got some lanyards down here. It's just It'll help identify who you are. So if you want to grab a, a lanyard off Lauren, that would be great. Um, these folks are going to pray for you. And I want to invite you to come and receive some prayer today. And there's a couple of people specifically that I want to invite to the front. Number one, if you have just laid your hand on your heart, we want you to come to the front and we want to pray for you. We want to pray that the Spirit would fill you and empower you to live a righteous life, a life that is set on Jesus. I also want to invite any of you that, what, what I said about that moving towards like a second naivety, that really hits home that you look back on the days whenever you're passionate about Jesus and you just long for those days again. Uh, I, we want to pray for you. We, we want to pray that the Lord would be able to release you into this way of living. And thirdly, Emma had a wonderful conversation with a couple of women in our community around our place on Thursday night. Women who just said, they both said this, I'm just hungry for Jesus. And if you're here today and if you're pursuing him, but you know what, it's like, man, there is a level of hunger that I just want to keep tapping into. We also want to pray for you. And so if you've had your hand in your heart, if you want to move towards the second naivety, or if you're just hungry and thirsty for God, can I invite you to just begin to come forward, just start to receive some prayer? Come on up to the front. These guys would love to pray for you.